Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. G'day. Today's Wednesday, December 13th. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Well, Chase, flat fee real estate brokerage Fathom Realty hopes to boost the company's bottom line by more than $3 million next year by raising agent fees for the second year in a row, starting January 1. Fathom's publicly traded parent company, Fathom Holdings, says it also anticipates raising up to $4.29 million from a public offering of as many as 2.45 million shares, most of which are expected to change hands on Tuesday. Chase, what are your thoughts around this? We're starting to see this happen across the industry, right, as brokerages grapple with profitability, with an increased squeeze on margins. So what are your thoughts? Well, a couple of things, Bruce. I think one is when you're in an environment in the industry like we're in right now, which is rapidly decreasing number of units, and your economics are based on a unit transaction fee, that's a real challenge. Now, it's a challenge for all of us for different reasons. It's just generally a challenge. But again, when your revenue is based on units and you have this catastrophic difference in units from several years ago, you have to find a way to make that up. And you make that up two ways. You either get more units in this case by getting more agents and Fathom has continued to grow or you increase the amount you're charging per unit. And it feels a little, Bruce, like as I was reading the story, I was thinking about the old story where you put a frog in warm water and then you just boil it slowly so it doesn't jump out <laughs> instead of you know throwing a frog in the boiling water all at once. It's a little like that, particularly because this isn't the first time that Fathom has raised their fees, right? They just did it last year. They're doing it now again. You know, The statement from the company is that they feel like it will have a minimal impact on our agents, is the quote. So they're taking some of these fees from higher dollar sales, which does make sense. I mean, like it or not, the agent is less sensitive to fees, generally speaking, than they are to splits. And we've found that to be true in certain cases. So if you're going to increase your fee at a larger sale price, it's one of those things sometimes that, you know, I think of it like when the garbage company raises my fee dollar a month. I'm not happy about it, but I'm not going to do anything different, right? And, and so back to the kind of the frog in the slow boiling water analogy. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think uh, the market that we've been living in up until things started to shift, right, where everything's high and to the right, you see a race to the bottom. There's a lot of pressure on everyone to cut what they charge their agents to get down and, and be the greatest value for an agent to come and hang their license with them. And yet what we know is the race to the bottom never works right, is ultimately, if you're not profitable, it's not sustainable. And now, as you said, right, the market is contracted and we're seeing companies look and say, okay, yeah, this is not working for me. In a high volume market like we were in for the last 12 years, literally, it's where you see the proliferation of discount brokerages, people cutting their fees, right, to get inventory because they know it will sell, people going for sale by owner. And yet when the market slows down, that becomes less attractive to everybody. I think we're getting back to reality, actually. And I think this is actually a good move. And I think you're going to see more and more of it as everybody grapples with profitability. 
Yeah. And the other thing Fathom's doing is they're raising money, right, through selling some of their shares. And what's interesting is they're actually selling them at a discount compared to what they're currently trading at. And they reference using some of the funds for just operating capital. What that has me wondering, Bruce, is why I don't have enough operating capital in the first place through three of the top five years in terms of volume sold per agent that we've ever seen. That's interesting, right? You also see that the founder, which is Josh Harley, is also selling some of his shares. We reported on him stepping down and leaving the door open for him to potentially come back at some point in the future. He's selling about a million of his shares and reducing you know, the percentage of votes that he has in the company. It's interesting that they're going and raising capital at the same time as you know increasing their fee structure and raising that capital by selling shares at a discount. I'd be curious to see what the back-end financials are looking like and, and what's causing them to go and do that right now. We'll be able to get uh, access to those numbers in January when they report their fourth quarter earnings. But you know, I think it's interesting, selling those shares, right, is actually cheap money, even though they're discounting it in comparison in this high interest rate environment to borrow the money. Yep. So I think that that's probably smart on their part to do that. Again, everyone struggled over the last couple of years to put together profitable quarters, particularly in the public market. So we'll see, and we'll report more on that. A big viral story that has gone around the internet in the last couple of weeks, right, is that big Wall Street investors are buying 44% of all the homes that were available for sale this year. That claim was made originally in a headline for an article in the medium, and then it spread like wildfire all over social media. In fact, Congress has even jumped on the bandwagon with Democratic lawmakers introducing bills looking to limit or ban hedge funds from buying single-family homes. So again, the claim was that these investors were buying 44% of all the inventory. And the answer is no, not even close, right? Housing inventory is near all-time lows, and big institutional investors like Invitation Homes or BlackRock aren't to blame. What are your thoughts around this? Well, I just want to share the number, the actual number, Bruce, of what percentage of homes institutional investors were buying. And although it did go up starting in about 2020, it never even got to 3% from institutional buyers specifically, right? Right. So here's the story claiming 44%, the actual three, which isn't impacting anybody negatively, if you really think about it. And yet it is fascinating that, you know, social media has become the most trusted source of news in today's society, which I think we should be really careful of. Here's a story that, you know, I shared before we started recording that to me, it's just one of those stories that kind of fits this narrative of the big bad wolf, you know, like somehow you know, Wall Street in this case, harming the would-be home buyer in America. And just fascinating how fast something like that can go viral, considering how easy it is to dispel the actual numbers. It's not the first time we've seen this happen in terms of like something completely made up or fabricated, worrying people and getting the attention of Congress. And and here we are looking at, wait, this is this is a nothing burger, right? One of our new favorite sayings. Like, this isn't actually true. So I don't know. It is fascinating to watch. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I mean, that two and a half percent market share that you're reporting, I mean, those numbers are from Freddie Mac, right, who who tracks housing. The data is there. What you see is these institutional buyers, even when you include them with iBuyers, 
right? They're just a tiny percentage of the total home buyers in America. Those who bought 100 plus homes or more still represent only two and a half percent. Now, we've talked about this in the past, right? I mean, you and I are firm believers in investing in real estate and rental real estate is a great investment. And in fact, overall, market share in our economy, investors currently hold around 30% of all the housing that's out there. Now, the vast majority of those investors are not these big mega hedge funds, right, that buy thousands of homes, but instead they're mom and pops, single investors who own a house or two or three or 10, not own thousands. So again, it is a large percentage of the market overall, but it's not it's not what that article claimed, 44%, certainly not this year. Yeah, I, I love that stat, Bruce, because I think there's real opportunity there for the real estate agents listening to this, right? So just to be really specific here on what this is measuring, it's basically saying that last year, almost a third, 30% of all purchases, not what's owned, purchases were purchased by an investor, mostly mom and pop, people like you, people like me, people that exist in every agent's sphere of influence and want to buy their first investment property, their second, their 50th, it doesn't matter. 30% of all purchases. So please don't ignore the opportunity that exists in your business today and tomorrow and forevermore in helping people build wealth through owning real estate, right? And we've talked about the amount of equity that homeowners have right now in the marketplace. 39% of homeowners owe nothing on their house. Those are would-be and will-be investors given this statistic. So, you know, almost one in every three purchases is an investor. You have to learn how to work with investors. And the majority of them are just like you and me. And that's real opportunity, Bruce, even in a challenging market. Yep. And again, these thousand plus block buyers accounted for just 0.4% of market share in Q2. This is not rocking anybody's world. It's really not impacting it. I'm looking at this research was done by a very reputable company, Real Trends, and our friend Steve Murray and, and his team and Scott, that, I mean, they really know their numbers and they get it. And I have to read this because I think it is, this is just a great statement, right? So to make a long convoluted story very simple, there is nothing in the data to show that Wall Street has been the big buyer of homes in the US since 2000. If you want to pin the blame on someone, you're going to have to condemn those avocado toast eating kids, the millennials, who started buying homes in 2013 and were the largest percentage of home buyers until mortgage rates rose in 2022. Since then, Gen Xs and baby boomers have once again come out on top. And that's according to the National Association of Realtors. Either way, it's not Wall Street, but that isn't a sexy talking point in the class warfare dialogue. That's a wonderful statement, right? The reality is, and we've talked about this, Chase, is those artificially low interest rates that we had a few years ago, we borrowed buyers from the future mm -hmm. and put them into homes then. Yep. And oh, by the way, the roosters come home to nest, roost, right? This is why we have no inventory. And this is why, because we actually did, we jammed all that business in, in a couple of years, instead of just spreading it out over a longer period. Well, not only did we condense it, like you said, into several years, but then we accidentally locked it in because everyone's sitting on a low mortgage rate lottery ticket for the home they own. So they're a little hesitant to trade out unless they have a true urgent need. You know, not surprising that a lot of the millennials, these avocado toast eating kids, as the story says, 
jumped into the market when rates were low. Why? Because you would anticipate a lot of them have maybe less resources. They're starting out earlier in life. Maybe it's their first home. And because rates were so low, now they can afford the payment. And, and great move on their part, in my opinion, assuming they could afford it. Now we're back to Gen Xers and baby boomers being the largest portion, which again, makes sense. They're later on in life. It's maybe their second or third home. They have equity that they're taking advantage of farther along in their career. Again, broad strokes, considering different age groups, but not surprising there. And it was an opportunity for those folks. And I'm glad that they jumped in overall. Now, does every you know market change or shift have a following season or a consequence, if you will? Sure. That's where we're at now. Obviously, we're continuing to report on the factors that are impacting that on a weekly basis. Yep. So be careful. Fake news. Well, Chase, mortgage rates edged up on Friday on news that U.S. employers hired more people than expected in November. And the bond market investors who fund most mortgages lost some of their conviction that the Federal Reserve will start cutting rates in the spring. In fact, the latest jobs report, which showed employers added 199,000 non-farm workers to their payrolls last month, is good news for those hoping that the economy can achieve a soft landing and avoid a recession as growth slows in the face of Federal Reserve interest rate hikes. What are your takeaways from this? This unemployment number is a metric that we've been watching very closely. Why? Because obviously the Fed watches it very closely as a a measure of the underlying strength of the economy, which they're trying to slow down, by the way. So I need everyone to hear that, even though it doesn't sound great, the federal government wants unemployment to go up. Mm -hmm. Not because they want people to not have a job, but that's demonstrating that the economy is slowing, right? So I know that doesn't feel good to say, but that's actually what they're looking to do. And they've done that ever so slightly, right? Considering this language they use of a soft landing. So back in April, the low point was 3.4%, which is historically low unemployment numbers, right? Absolutely. And now we're up to 3.7%. So a 0.3 percentage point change since April. That's good news as far as the Fed's concerned. It may not be as much as they would like to see it change, And yet they are seeking that soft landing. Of course, we know they're always seeking that and they rarely find it. So we'll see if that that happens. But there's some people still predicting, you know how much we love predictions, that Mm -hmm. the federal government will cut rates in the spring of 2024 as job market trends are likely to weaken from here. I believe that's probably true, Bruce. I believe that the unemployment rate, although it did dip a little bit in November, I think over the course of that amount of time, it's likely to continue climbing given some of the action of the federal government up till now. I would agree with you. I mean, you're right. The Fed is trying to slow down the economy. And and if you think about that, what does that mean? Well, it would mean that unemployment would go up, that job growth would slow down. Oh, by the way, GDP I mean, which we reported recently, right, is just off the charts hot right now. But that would also shrink and get back to that 2% level. And we would see that that ultimately drive inflation down, which, by the way, you know, of course, the latest inflation numbers came out and they came out at 3.1%. So barely moved at all from October. It's sort of remaining a little stubborn, to be quite frank. I think that all of this this information that's coming out, and of course, we record a little earlier to get this podcast out, but at 11 o'clock Pacific Wednesday, we will hear from the Fed what they're going to do. And of course, everybody's expecting that they won't raise rates, that they will keep them. But I think that what we're going to see here, Chase, is that they're not going to cut them either. 
And I don't believe we're going to see them cut them anytime soon because of these numbers being stubborn. And we've shared, right, the key number around the metrics of unemployment is 4, 4%. That's the goal because basically at 4%, everybody who wants a job has one. So here we are at 3.7%, right? Mm -hmm. So again, the economy is still chugging along and people are spending money and just need to go to a shopping mall. I get it. It's the holidays. And yet people are out there spending like there's no tomorrow. I know that we see these predictions about rates being cut in the spring. I'd be surprised. And even this last week where we saw rates come down, dip below 7%, now they're back up again, right? As, as, as the market's responding to what they think the Fed is going to do or not do, what we saw was a, a massive increase in the number of mortgage applications. Okay, what's the consequence of that? Well, guess what? We still don't have enough inventory for the buyers that we have in the market. And now we're going to add more buyers by dropping the interest rates. That doesn't bring inventory. So what will that do? It will drive prices up again. And again, affordability will take a back seat. So I think that that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I just want to make note, folks. You heard Bruce say it here, shopping mall. I'm not sure I know those things still exist anymore. <laughs> I know the economy is roaring because me and the Amazon delivery guy are on a first name basis this time of year. So I, don't, I haven't been to a shopping mall, but money's still getting spent. All joking aside, the federal government is watching what's happening in the underlying economy very closely. We've shared on this program that we believe we're already in a recession in real estate, right? And so we may be ahead of, of what's likely to come in the economy, at least some sort of slowing if not a recession. We'll see how that impacts our business longer term, right? Yeah. Well, and again, you know, when we look at these inflation numbers, you know, when you strip out, so it was 3.1%, but if you go to core inflation where you strip out the fuel and food, it's actually at 4%, again, remaining stubborn. And then when you dive into those numbers, what you realize is that housing is the biggest part of it. In fact, housing expense was up 6.5% last month. So again, if we see prices increase again because of this lack of inventory, again, that number will drive inflation and we'll keep it artificially high. So yeah, interesting times. But again, you know what? It's always a good time to buy the right real estate. And there are still good deals out there if you look for them. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview Nick Beveridge with Keller Williams Realty Coeur d'Alene in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Apple, Google, or Spotify, or really any major streaming platform to subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening to The Real Look.